0: Chapter One: The Relationship Between Economic Freedom and Political Freedom. Point One: There is a strong connection between economics and politics. P10. Point Two: A society that is socialist can also be democratic, as it can't guarantee individual freedom. P10. Point Three: Competitive capitalism promotes political freedom because it separates economic and political power from each other and allows each to offset the other p12 point four there are only two ways to coordinate the economic activities of millions through a central direction involving coercion the technique of an army and the modern totalitarian state through voluntary cooperation of individuals the technique of the marketplace this is essentially competitive capitalism point five the question how free markets protect everyone in them from caution. The consumer is protected from caution because there are other sellers and vice versa. Employees are protected from caution by the employer because there are other employers and vice versa. A free market does this impersonally, doesn't discriminate, and does it without a central authority. P. 18. Point 6. Most arguments against the free market is a lack of belief in freedom itself. P. The Question How the Market Helps the Government and the Government's Role in a Market The government in a free market determines the rules of the game and acts as an umpire to enforce and interpret the rules The market essentially lowers the number of issues a government needs to solve through political means Chapter 2 The Role of Government in a Free Society Point 8 Protection of the individual and nation from coercion are the most basic roles of the government in a free society. Point 9. Other than the monetary system, there is no other area where government action has been so uniformly accepted P-34. Point 10. Things that government should do. A government is to enforce contracts voluntarily entered into, provide the definition of the meanings of property rights. The interpretation and enforcement of such rights and the provision of a monetary framework P-34. Point 11. The government's main responsibility. The government's primary responsibility is to do what the market can't, mainly determine, arbitrate, and enforce the rules of the game P-34. Point 12. What monopoly is. Monopoly is the absence of alternatives and thereby inhibits effective freedom of exchange. Point 13. How monopolies generally rise from government support or from collusive agreements amongst individuals. Chapter 3. The control of money. Point 14. What we need for economic stability and growth is a reduction of government intervention, not an increase. P. 46. 15. The question, what the government should do. Government should provide a stable monetary framework for a free economy. Government should provide a general legal and economic framework that will enable individuals to produce growth in the economy p. unknown. Point 16. A true liberal pre-1900s is fundamentally fearful of concentrated power. He desires to preserve the maximum degree of freedom for everyone up until one man's freedom interferes with the next man's. He believes power must be dispersed to do so. P48. Point 17. Lenin says the most effective way to destroy a society is to destroy its money. P49. Point 18. The Great Depression in the United States is not a sign of the inherent instability of the private enterprise system but a testament to how much harm can be done by mistakes on the part of a few men when they wield vast power over the monetary system. P62. Point 19. An argument against an independent bank. Mistakes can't be avoided in a system that disperses responsibility yet gives a few men great power, which thereby makes important policy actions highly dependent on accidents of personality. P62. Point 20. A rule for monetary policy the monetary authority is to achieve a specified rate of growth in the stock of money the stock of money is defined as money including currency outside commercial banks plus all deposits of commercial banks p65 chapter 4 international financial and trade arrangements point 21 how to turn a market economy into an authoritarian economic society there is much to suggest that the most effective way to convert a market economy into an authoritarian economic society is to start by imposing direct controls on foreign exchange p68 point 22 only a cultural lag leads us to still think of gold as the central element of our monetary system p70 point 23 an accurate description of the role of gold in us policy is that it is primarily a commodity whose price is supported like Wheat or other agricultural products, p. 70, Chapter 5. Fiscal Policy. Point 24. What we need for fiscal policy. What we need is not a skillful monetary driver of the economic vehicle continuously turning the steering wheel to adjust to the unexpected irregularities of the route, but some means of keeping the monetary passenger who is in the back seat as ballast from occasionally leaving over and giving. The steering wheel a jerk that threatens to send the car off the road p94 chapter 6 the role of government in education point 25 the question what kind of government action within education is justifiable to have a stable democratic society require each child to receive a minimum amount of schooling of a specific kind p102 point 26. the question When schooling had the most social gain, the social gain presumably is the greatest for the lowest levels of schooling, where there is the nearest approach to unanimity about content and declines continuously as the levels of school rise P106. 27. The question, what would happen if the government gave you a rebate of sorts for schooling that you could use however you wanted? If present public expenditures on schooling were made available to parents regardless of where they send their children, a wide variety of schools would pop up to meet the demand. Parents could express their views about schools directly by withdrawing their children from one school and sending them to Another, to a much greater extent than is now possible p109. Point 28. The problem with education. The problem is not primarily that we are spending too little money, though we may be, but that we are getting so little per dollar spent. P 112.29. The general principle that the market permits each to satisfy his own taste, effective, proportional representation, whereas the political process imposes conformity. P 113.30. The question, the issues with teachers' salaries. With respect to teachers' salaries, the major problem is not that they are too low on the average, they may well be too high on the average, but that they are too uniform and rigid. Poor teachers are grossly overpaid and good teachers are grossly underpaid. P 113. Point 31. If one were to seek deliberately to devise a system of recruiting and paying teachers calculated to repel the imaginative and daring and self-confident and to attract the full, mediocre and uninspiring, he could hardly do better than imitate the system of requiring teaching certificates and enforcing standard salary structures that have devolved in the larger city and statewide systems. P. 100. Chapter 7. Capitalism and Discrimination Point 32. The man who exercises discrimination pays a price for doing so, literally, p 132 chapter 8 monopoly and social responsibility of business labor point 33 monopoly raises two classes of problems for a free society first the existence of a monopoly means a limitation on the voluntary exchange through a reduction in the alternatives available to individuals second the existence of monopoly raises the issue of social responsibility as it has come to be called of the monopolist P-143. Point 34. The question, what unions actually do, if unions raise wage rates in a particular occupation or industry, they necessarily make the amount of employment available in that occupation or industry less than it otherwise would be just as any higher price cuts the amount purchased. The effect is an increased number of persons seeking other jobs, which force down wages in other occupations. P. 149.35. In a free economy, a business's only social responsibility is this to use its resources and engage in activities designed to increase its profits, so long as it stays within the rules of the game, which is to say it engages in open and free competition without deception and fraud p160.36 history offers ample evidence that what determines the average level of prices and wages is the amount of money in the economy and not the greediness of businessmen or of workers p162.37 governments ask for the self-restraint of business and labor because of their inability to manage their own affairs which include the control of money and the natural human tendency to pass the buck, P. 160 Chapter 9. Occupational Licensure. Point 38. It is clear that licensure is the key to the medical profession's ability to restrict the number of physicians who practice medicine. It's also the key to its ability to restrict technological and organizational changes in the way medicine is conducted, P. 183. 39. It's as clear that licensure has been at the core of the restriction of entry and that this involves a heavy social cost. Both to the individuals who want to practice medicine but are prevented from doing so and to the public deprived of the medical care wants to buy and is prevented from buying. P185.40 The Case Against How will know who's good if there's are no medical license? People do not now choose physicians by picking names at a random list from a list of licensed physicians, partly from that a man's ability to pass an examination twenty to thirty years earlier j's hardly assurance of quality now, hence licensure is not now the main, or even major source of assurance of at least minimum quality p188. Chapter 10. The Distribution of Income. Point 41. The chief characteristic of progress and development over the past century is that it has freed the masses from backbreaking toil and has made available to them products and services that were formerly the monopoly of the upper classes without in any corresponding way expanding the products and services available to the wealthy P-202. 42. Non-capitalist societies tend to have wider inequality than capitalist, even as measured by annual income. In addition inequality in them tends to be permanent whereas capitalism undermines status and introduces social mobility p204 chapter 11 social welfare measures point 43 in public housing and minimum wage raises the people who are helped are visible the people whose wages are raised the people who occupy the publicly built units the people who are hurt are anonymous and their problem is not clearly connected to its cause. P. 216.44. A large part of the support for minimum wage laws comes not from disinterested men of goodwill but from interested parties. For example, the northern trade unions and northern firms threatened by southern competitors favor minimum wage laws to reduce the competition from the south. P. 217.45 a case against forcing old age and survivor's insurance. Those of us who believe in freedom must also believe in the freedom of individuals to make their own mistakes. If a man knowingly prefers to live for today, to use his resources for current enjoyment, deliberately choosing a penurious old age, by what right do we prevent him from doing what he chooses to do? Is there not always the possibility that he is right and that we are wrong? Humility is the distinguishing virtue of the believer in freedom. Arrogance of the Paternalist. P. 224 Chapter 12 The Alleviation of Poverty. 46. The extraordinary economic growth experienced by Western countries during the last two centuries and the wide distribution of the benefits of free enterprise has enormously reduced the extent of poverty in any absolute sense in the capitalistic countries of the West P. 227. The Heart of Liberal Philosophy The heart of the liberal philosophy is a belief in the dignity of the individual, in his freedom to make the most of his capacities and opportunities according to his own lights, subject only to the proviso that he not interfere with the freedom of other individuals to do the same P. 234. Chapter 13. Conclusion. Point 48. The question, why do people still look to the state when the state causes many of their issues? Why is it, in light of the record, that the burden of proof still seems to rest on those of us who oppose new government programs and who seek to reduce the already unduly large role of government? Let Dicey answer. The beneficial effect of state intervention, especially in the form of legislation, is direct, immediate, and, so to speak, visible. Whilst its evil effects are gradual and indirect, and lie out of sight. Nor do most people keep in mind that state inspectors may be incompetent, careless, or even occasionally corrupt. Few are those who realize the undeniable truth that state help kills self help. Hence, the majority of mankind must almost of necessity look with undue favor upon governmental p. 241.49. Concentrated power is not rendered harmless by the good intentions of those who created P242.